All right, well, good morning again, everybody. I'm excited today to continue our series called Creed. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed, but I wonder if we can just take a moment and welcome those who are here for the first time, just celebrating them with us. Can we do that? All right, we do. Again, want to just highlight you and just say thank you for, for being with us. And uh, if you didn't on your way in, know that on your way out, you can stop by uh, the table that is outside under the tent there, a little gift for you, just our way of saying thank you for enjoying that sermon. All right. Today, though, um, we are in part two, the second part of uh, Creed. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed being, if you're unfamiliar with it, the Apostles' Creed is uh, in being a set of early, early, early ancient Christian beliefs. And here's why that's important. Um, we live in the here and now, but sometimes history and tradition serves us very, very well. Importantly, it's good to know that when the early church gathered, they didn't have one of these. We get to have a Bible. Shoot, we probably have multiple Bibles in our house. We got the Bible app. Glory be to God, somebody. We got a lot at our fingertips. We think of a verse. We can what? Google and get it. We can carry it with us. It's available to us. The early church had no such thing. Um, in fact, they would actually go to the synagogue, which is the Jewish house of worship. In the book of Acts, you can read all about it. They would actually show up and, and, and hear the scriptures, the First Testament, being read. And they would pray and they would gather. Slowly over time, what would happen, though, is that the Christians began to realize, man, yes, we do believe the First Testament, but we've encountered Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and it would differentiate them from a set religion in Jew, Jewish or Israelite culture to now this Christian culture. And when they would gather, they would sing songs, they would sing hymns, they would uh, read portions of the passages of Scripture. Every once in a while, their local church might get a letter from an apostle or um, one of the leaders in the church. And so they would sit around, they'd gather together, and they would long form read the whole book of Philippians, for example, the entirety of Revelation in one sitting. Something else unique they would do, they would say the Lord's Prayer, and they would recite or cite the Apostles' Creed. It helped form them. It also helped form those interested in being followers of Jesus. And the Apostles' Creed has come to us, specifically churches that kind of meet in Western civilization, it is one of the earliest transcripts of a cognitive, simple, concise set of beliefs. It can be with practice recited. Last week, we began and talked about the Creator God, God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Well, today, we're going to talk about Jesus. I've got to be forthcoming and say next week, Jesus, and the next week, Jesus. Then we're going to move into the Holy Spirit and the church a bit. But the next few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus because Jesus was more than just the difference maker. For the earliest Christians, he was the fulfillment of God, the incarnation. I've heard one pastor put it, God in a bod, God with skin on, God that didn't keep his distance but entered 
our humanity. And here is the phrase from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, being the Father's only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Why creed? Why the Apostles' Creed? Well, let me break it down to something we all know and are living out in virtually every arena of our life. Our actions are rooted in our beliefs. Our actions are rooted in our beliefs. Our words are rooted in our beliefs. Our reactions are rooted in our beliefs. Let me make it even more simpler. Your profile on social media is rooted in your beliefs. Politically, spiritually, ethically, the way you treat your boss, or if you're the boss, the way you treat your employees, in your family, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat your neighbor's kids, how you treat the kids of parents in Walmart. Your beliefs are leaking, all right? If nobody's told you that, I just want to say it. How you treat your fellow neighbor after thunder over Louisville traffic, your beliefs. Some people, I know nobody here, but there are people in this life that live like the world revolves around them. <gasps> I spent my teenage years, my parents can affirm, believing the world revolved around me. Kelly may say, my wife may say, there are a couple days here and there that I do the same thing. But I want you to think in a profound way, the direction of your life, it's been forged primarily by your family of origin, your parents. But here's what the early Christians realized. It isn't about their culture. It isn't about their culture. It isn't about their family of origin. Here's what new Christians believe. They believe that in Christ, they're new creation. That in Christ, so they believe Jesus was the embodiment of God that he's the son of the living God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that Jesus wasn't just another rabbi, that Jesus wasn't just another good idea, that Jesus wasn't just a hopeful ideology. They believed that Jesus was a representation of God. Notice Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along. I'll read it off the screens here in just a second. Hebrews chapter, there we go. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. I want you to think about verse 1 of Hebrews 1, verse 1. What is that doing? He is writing, he's about to make, or she is about to, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, is about to make an entire letter and statement and set of direction, formative for the early church. 
And they said, your first testament, your Old Testament, you get glimpses of who God is. You get glimpses. You get ideas. You get pictures and and paintings, and it's a mosaic of the nature of God. But then notice what he says in verse 2. I'm going to switch to this mic so the crackling may stop. Thank you, guys. They're incredible. Yeah. Thank you. I mean it. Thank you all so much. So in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times. This is going to help you. If you can hang with me for five minutes, it may set you free in some areas. I mean it. Through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, come on, it's been a long last days, everybody. In these last days, he's spoken to us how? By his son. Okay. Ooh, he's hinting at some things here. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Ooh, that's a, that's a bold statement. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact. Everybody say exact. Three, two, one. You ever thought about that? What's God like? Jesus. What's God sound like? Jesus. Well, how would God handle this? Jesus. Well, what does God think about women? Jesus. What does God think about children? Jesus. Well, how does God care for the poor and the marginalized? Jesus. Well, what does God think about leadership? Jesus. What does God think about interaction with other humans? Jesus. First Testament gave us glimpses. But if you're a new believer or a seasoned believer and you go straight to Moses without Jesus, you've got a glimpse. You've got a glimpse. The Gospels for Christ followers, for Christians, the Gospels, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill. I mean, that has tremendous implications for Christ followers. Remarkable implications. This isn't me making it up, somebody. This is Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Your beef is not with me. It's with Hebrews. Not that you have any beef. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Covering that next week. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Some people love a really angry God. Some people love a really vengeful God. Some people, they love existing by guilt tripping and manipulating others with a false sense of the fear of God. What is God and who is God like? Jesus. Jesus. Grace, mercy, compassion, and yet truth. As John 1 says, when Jesus corresponds truth to others, we need the truth because the truth will set you free. I've heard somebody say the truth will set you free, but first it'll take you off. Jesus never hesitated to deliver truth. 
Some people just love the grace part without the truth. And so their picture of God is just affirming of all however they want to live. That's only half a glimpse. The other glimpse is God knows what sets us free. And Jesus, when presented with stoning a woman caught in adultery, he mentioned, hey, we've got to lay down our rocks. And then what does he say? He didn't say, hey, have a great day. Here's a coffee crossing gift card. Bless you. <laughs> he did all that. But he said, women, go and sin no more. Jesus represents the Father. In fact, it, 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 it's profound because for some people, they've missed the starting place. They've missed the starting point. And in some people's journey, religion, religion has been emphasized. And in some forms and fashion, pastors and preachers and authors and speakers have represented a glimpse of God without representing who God is. The early church had no confusion about this. They understood that God came. God came, that God was for them, that he loved them, and that he was the only one who could bring them back to life. He was the only one that conquered death and conquered the grave. It is in Christ Jesus. But Paul was very cognitive of this reality. In Christ, in new creation. See, because here's what gets hairy. Here's what gets a little strange. Like, you all know the story of Saul, Paul. The story of Saul was... He was using the first testament to kill the first Christians. He loved Phineas and the zealous nature. That was a glimpse. That was a glimpse. But then he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it totally, here's what it wrecked. It totally wrecked his theology. Like he was blinded. He was seizing with murderous threats. He had his papers and his scriptures. And he's on his journey to Damascus. And he gets wrecked by the love of God. Wrecked by the mercy of God. Wrecked by the hope of God. And then filled with the Holy Spirit. That's wild. And he would write these stories. He would write these letters. And what is he encouraging? He said, hey, 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 it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. So the earliest church would gather. And what differentiated them between them and their Jewish brothers and sisters was this person, Jesus. They recognized that he was not just another person. He was not just another prophet. He was not just another Messiah. He was the Messiah, the fulfilled one, as the book of Galatians shares. Notice these scriptures. This is, this is remarkable when you read some of these scriptures. We see here, Hebrews 1 through 4, we've read. Let me read a couple more to you. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, excuse me. Chapter 2, it says this. Have the same mindset as Messiah Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God with skin on, entering our humanity. 
It is so subversive. He pulled like a quick one on everybody. Even his closest disciples were like, dude, we got the knives. You know, we got, we got the arsenal. Come on, let's take it. And he's like, lay your knife down. Follow me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to die. Take up your cross. Follow me. What? Huh? Judas was so thrown, he betrayed him. The very son of God. He just couldn't see it. He thought Jesus was going to be like all them other messiahs, which you can read about. Judas Maccabee being one of them. You can read all about it. A revolution against the Roman Empire. And here Jesus is. The greatest revolution of all. The son of the living God. God himself willingly laying his life down. Emmanuel. God with us? Philippians, they've heard of the gods, little g, and they're all angry, distant, and the last thing they want to do is enter humanity. They don't have anything to do with humanity. And here, you're telling me the creator God entered humanity? Diapers? Baby food? Vulnerable? Fragile? I have like the dad syndrome when our daughters were so little and I would hold them. I always had to know where my wife was because for some reason I just thought, man, they are so weak and vulnerable. I feel like their head's going to pop off. Like my, my, my baby, I was like, ah, babe, where are you? You know, I'm like, babies are great. But at two, I feel more confident in somebody. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you're not irreligious for seeing Jesus entering your life. In fact, Christians were convinced at the nearness and the compassion and the kindness of God that he would actually enter into humanity. It's remarkable, remarkable when you think about it. When you think about that, that God foreordained, predestined himself to be the Lamb of God. Sacrifice for the foundations of the earth. Jesus, from the beginning, the Word with God. Beautiful when you think about not a God who is distant, not a God who is far away, but a God who came ever so close. Philippians, Paul says, he made himself human. Hebrews 4.15 uses some remarkable language as well. I want you to see this. Hebrews 4.15, a couple chapters later, after Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. For we do not have a high priest. High priest, the book of Hebrews is written as a letter to predominantly people who understood the Jewish religious system. Where you would sacrificially give. And the blood would be the atonement for their sins. So, Jesus now, he's building the case and showing this part of the story, how Jesus entered. We talk more about that next week. How Jesus on the cross, he's the once and for all. For all of humanity, his blood is covered. The sin for those who call upon his name. So anyhow, quick little sidetrack. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He was perfect. That's the God we serve. The God who enters, who's not distant, who comes close, who as Revelation says it, he knocks on the door of our heart. 
He knocks on the door of our heart, man, that we would come open and he would come in and dine with us, live with us, relationship with us. You see, I'm not sure about your coworkers. I'm not sure about some of your family, but it's possible to have what's called religious baggage. And the glimpses of God that they've seen, they land up saying to themselves, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. Every once in a while, I encounter somebody who wants nothing to do with God because of what they've seen, whether that's from people that are following Jesus. Come on, we all make mistakes. We all have propensity. Or whether it's just from the culture setting. I love what author Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, known by others, He's a prolific author, one of my favorite theologians. N.T. Wright is his name. Most of his work was in the U.K. And um, he worked for a season as a uh, pastor in Oxford. And he says this, For seven years, I was a college chaplain in Oxford. Each year, I used to see the first-year undergrads individually for a few minutes to welcome them to college and make a first acquaintance. Most were happy to meet me, but many commented often with slight embarrassment. You won't be seeing much of me, chaplain. You see, I don't believe in God. I developed a stock response, Tom Wright says. Oh, that's interesting. Which God is it you don't believe in? This used to surprise them. They mostly regarded the word God as a unequivocal, always meaning the same thing. So they would stumble out a few phrases about the little G-O-D they said they did not believe in. A being who lived up in the sky, looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share his heaven. Again, I had a stock response for this very common statement of spy-in-the-sky theology. Well... I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, the undergrad would look startled. And then a faint look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half the college chaplains at Oxford were atheists. No, I would say, I believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. What most people mean by God in late modern Western culture simply is not the mainstream Christian meaning. Remarkable. You have co-workers. You have family. You have friends. The mosaic, the picture, the most beautiful thought, the most important thought, A.W. Tozer would say, the most important thought we have is what we think about when we think about God. That thought gives our life direction. I remember being a sophomore in band in Seymour High School. Go Owls. And in between songs, we would get to chit-chat while the band director was working out something or spending time with the clarinets while our saxophones, he knew we'd never be sounding good anyway, so he worked with the other departments. And... Um, I remember a guy looking at me like, hey, hey, you go to church? I said, yeah, I love church. My dad's a pastor. Oh, I don't believe in God. I said, okay. 
Like, yeah. Any God that just sends people to hell couldn't be a real God. And I was thinking, hmm, wonder where he got that from. You think God sends people to hell? You don't think they choose the direction of their life to live apart from God, distant from God? Want nothing to do with God? You just blame that all? Oh, it's interesting. It's interesting how people operate. They don't know that God is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. They go to maybe one service once a year and get one picture in their mind. And it's funny how that becomes lodged in their root system. The early church revolved around the Gospels, revolved around the First Testament. But notice the First Testament reading was so influenced by Jesus that they could understand the heart of the Father. And it began to determine the trajectory of their life. Tom Holland, who I won't quote, he's moving towards becoming a Christian. Tom Holland is a UK author and professor. However, he was an atheist. I believe now he's an agnostic. But he loves Christianity. He says there's no other world religion that has had as much influence for the good than Christianity. You've got a UK atheist saying these things and writing thick books on it. Tom Holland, you can look him up. Good luck if you want to read it, okay? And what does he talk about? He just talks about the facts. That children in the Roman Empire, they were dropped off. The garbage heap if the family didn't want them. That women in the Roman Empire were not valued, cared for. That the poor and the marginalized were an afterthought. That humility was not a good characteristic in Greek philosophy and Roman philosophy. Humility was ridiculous. And yet, there was a group of women, children, and men who encountered Jesus Christ. And they began to care for the orphan. They began to care for the poor and the marginalized. So much so that in the mid-third century, an emperor of Rome would write, what is the problem with the Roman Empire and our governance? These Christians take better care of the poor and hungry than we do. So much so was their influence. So much so was the influence of the cross and the way of the cross and the way Christians carried themselves politically, relationally. They didn't have to win arguments. They saw themselves as the embodiment of love to serve, to care, and to operate in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it would be a testament so much so that 2,000 years on, we ain't singing a lick of a song about Caesar but we sing in every song about Jesus Christ. Revolutionary. I believe the time is right for us to live in the same spirit of Christ. For generations beyond, below, beneath, so to speak, that are coming up. For them to taste and see the goodness of God revealed in Christ. 
That Emmanuel isn't just some happy-go-lucky phrase we throw out, but we live understanding this reality that God is with us. It's part of the reason I love and tear up at every chosen episode I've ever watched. Because however they do it, it's incredible to see the heart of the Father operating with Mary Magdalene, who society would push away, calling her by her name, giving her her real identity, to Philip, who wanted nothing to do with God, and him showing up and sharing the truth and the prophetic vision and love he has, to Nathaniel, it's remarkable chosen series. Why is it gaining a lot of traction in people's lives? It's because I believe there's a touch on those shows that it's what? Revealing the heart of the Father. If you ever get the chosen app, I was about to say the frozen app. That's a different message for another time. Huh? Two young daughters, bless me, all right? We'll talk about frozen maybe around Christmas, but now we're talking about the chosen, just briefly, just briefly. You look at the chosen app, I, 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 I don't deep dive a lot, but sometimes I just watch those testimonials. People burned out, wanting nothing to do with religion. But people also broken down because they're not following the Jesus way. And I don't say that religiously. I just say they're just living in their own abilities and own strength. And then a friend is like, hey, you should watch this. They start watching it. And it just cuts through all the religious gar. I don't want to say garbage, but all the religious minutiae. And they see for the first time the love of God. It's the power of people, not just I believe lip service, but I believe. Like I believe, I believe, I, I confess the Apostles' Creed. Well, 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 why would I confess the Apostles' Creed? Because my beliefs are leading my entire life. Like, I don't you know, get a choice with how I get to treat my spouse. I don't get a choice with how I get to treat my kids. If I'm a Christ follower, Jesus showed me. I don't get a choice well, in church, out of church. No, 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 you belong to church community. Jesus did. You know what I mean? You think about some of the important pieces of life. Hey, Jesus embodied. He revealed. But can I also tell you, on my downer days, on my tough days, on my sad days, when I'm weak, when I'm broken, when my thoughts are getting the best of me. It's like a line of rope in a blizzard. I'm tethered. I'm tethered to Christ, who's tempted and tried in every way. He empathizes with my loneliness. He empathizes with the sin cycle, with brokenness, with shame. He knows if you've been betrayed, hear this, he was betrayed. If you feel broken down, washed up, if you feel neglected, thrown out, so to speak, God enters that space. He knows what it's like, and he gives you an everlasting hand. And sometimes he's just like, let's sit here a while. And he weeps with those who weep. He brings joy to the downcast and the brokenhearted. But he doesn't rush the process. He knows 
that we're formed from dust. And he knows that we're frail. And so he comes in his love and his peace and his forgiveness. I'm going to end. Upstairs, our growth track is going on. And they covered three points among 100. They covered three points at the beginning. Belong, believe, become. We're not creative. I stole that from somebody who stole that from Jesus. You belong at the table of Jesus. Like with all your doubt, with all your baggage, with all your brokenness, you belong. Hands down, you belong. You belong. You belong. It's Jesus' movement in and through who will lead you to believe. You believe, you believe, you believe, and in time, you become who he's called for you to become. And God is so merciful, he's so gracious, he's so compassionate, and he's so, so patient. And my prayer is that in this series, you'd be triggered in a good way to give some thought to the words that I've said, and that you will go and search the scriptures but not like the Pharisees did, but like the early church did, to see how God, the Father, is revealed in the Son, Jesus Christ. These beliefs form your actions, how you treat others, how you build a career, how you build a family, how you build a life. It starts with our beliefs. And I believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your compassion. Lord, the scriptures are clear that our sin separated. The scriptures are clear, God, there was a space between. But in Christ, we see that that space, Lord, has been removed because of the work of your son, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you were not distant or apart, but that you entered our humanity. And that as you told Nicodemus in the cover of night, it was for love that you were motivated, that none should perish, but that all would encounter and experience everlasting life. And you went on to say that you didn't come to condemn but you came to convict and set free the world from sin and eternity apart from you. As a father, we believe, and for some, we want to believe, help our unbelief, that you are the Son of God. Lord, we need your help. We need your freedom. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. And Lord, we need the conviction that comes to change and transform us. So Lord, we call upon you now. If you're here, you need Jesus. Call upon him right where you are. God, I need you. I need you. Forgive my sin. Forgive my past. Be my king. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Thank you, God, for doing what only you can do.
We love you. I bless your people. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.